Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. How do you not get excited about the fact that the Falcons are in the Super Bowl? Seriously, how many of you thought that would actually happen in your lifetime? Really? Okay, so if you said yes, then man, it, you are a positive looking person. But we, I, I thought about doing this Rise Up thing uh, two Saturday nights ago, a week ago Saturday night. And uh, Jenny and I went with Lamar and Beth to uh, the Alan Jackson concert. Well, let me just stop and say, that's a different crowd. You know what I mean? I mean, seriously, that, that's a different group of people right there, man. And, uh, but I found myself perfectly at home with them. I mean, I can speak fluent bubble with the best of them, you know? And, and, and so we were there. And then he, he started this thing. He was singing his songs. He's got a bazillion hits, you know? And he's singing all these songs. And then toward about three quarters of the way through the show, he starts showing the, uh, the Julio Jones catch that kind of put the game away against Green Bay. And, and the state, I mean, we're at the Duluth the Gwinnett Center, and it's packed, man. I mean, there's probably like 10, 11,000 people in there. I don't know how many, but I mean, it's maxed out, right? And people went crazy. And I thought, okay, they're here to see and hear Alan Jackson, but they went bananas with a Falcons play. And then a few minutes later, while he's singing and doing all this, and you have this kind of montage thing going on the board, then it's like a Georgia Bulldog play, and it's, it's people go crazy, man. And then a few minutes later, in the same deal, he showed a tech play, and it emptied. Everybody left. It was amazing. And, and, you know, I think the cool thing about it was that's probably exactly what happens downtown when they play. So that's, that's pretty neat. And so I just, I just think it's wonderful. Randall, that was for you, my buddy. That was just for you because I love you every other season but football season. Yeah. Hey, rise up. I got to thinking about it then. And, but it, then I got really thinking about it when I started looking at how many times the phrase get up, stand up, or rise up is found in the scriptures. They're everywhere. I mean, everywhere you look, you find this concept of rise up, get up, stand up. So at the risk of being like a cheesy falcon, you know, jump on the bandwagon kind of thing, I thought, well, let's, let's take a Sunday and celebrate rise up. Now, I got, I got a handful of notes, you know, from folks this week, which were like, so you're more excited about football than you are church? My first thought on that was no, but isn't it okay to love Jesus and be normal? And in my soul, it said, yes, rise up. So here we are. How cool is that? Yeah, so this afternoon, feel free to scream and do all, everything you want. Somebody put on my Facebook wall, you should be so excited about church that when your pastor says something you agree with, you ought to dump Gatorade on his head. That ain't happening. I have lost a lot of weight, and I am now relatively quick for 57 years old. If you don't believe me, when I see that orange jug come in my way, I'll get gone. But we're going to share three stories today that connect to the term rise up. Three stories, rise up. And, and I, I find all three of these to be fascinating stories. And so let's just jump right into the text. In uh, John's gospel, in chapter 5, we find John telling the story. And here's what's great. When John's telling his stories, he's telling from firsthand experience. So beginning in verse two, here's, here's the story. Inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed lay on the porches. Now get this picture. When, when you go to uh, Israel, you literally can step down into where those pools are. They're still there. I mean, the original place. 
And it's kind of amazing because people would gather around these pools, hundreds of sick people would gather around these pools and, and their desire was that, that they could roll or they could jump into the pool believing that something supernatural would stir the water and the first people into the pool on the stirring of the water, they would be physically healed. All right. Now, don't get caught up in that. That's kind of the tall weeds of the story. It's not the point of the story, but it gives you some context behind it. So there would be hundreds of people around these pools. And when they believed an angel would stir that water up, the first people in the pool were going to be healed. So we're about to introduce this guy that Jesus sees. And so one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Now, is it me or does that question sound a little bit strange? First, we know that Jesus, according to the text, Jesus already knew this guy had been sick for 38 years. He didn't know him, but he knew him. Are you with me? And so he saw him knowing he was in need, knowing that he needed to be physically healed and knowing he was at a place where people believe they could be healed. And he still asked the question, do you want to be healed? Now, here's something interesting about that. When Jesus looks at you and says, do you want to be healed? There really is only one good answer, right? And that is yes. And so this man, his answer though is I can't, sir. So watch this. Jesus knows this guy, but clearly this guy doesn't know Jesus. And so he is looking at the man who just said, do you want to be well? Probably thinking, duh. And then clearly he doesn't know who Jesus is because he says, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always get there ahead of me. So in other words, this guy says, yeah, I, I want to be healed, but I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it on my own. It seems like every time I try, I'm laying here next to the pool. And if, when that stirring of the water happens, if I could just be the first one to kind of flop into that water, I'd be better. Because, but I just can't do it on my own power. And there he is lying by the pool. And Jesus then jumps in and says these words, stand up. He says, rise up. He says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now, this is an interesting perspective. This guy has clearly been, been without the ability to walk or care for himself for 38 years. He didn't know Jesus from apple butter. And it, he, all of a sudden, Jesus says, do you want to be healed? His first answer is, I can't, I'm not worthy. I can't do it, I can't fix it. I can't roll at the right time. I can't cover that ground. And Jesus looks at him and he says, well, why don't you just stand up? Why don't you just rise up? Why don't you pick up your mat? Why don't you go home? Now at that moment, he hears what he could have said. He could have said, well, you know what? It doesn't work that way. I don't know who you are, buddy, but I have been laying here for 38 years. I've been waiting to flop into the pool and you can't just come into my life and say you're fixed. And yet Jesus says, well, stand up, get up, rise up, take your mat and walk. Here's what's interesting. Guy gets up, rolls up his sleeping mat, begins walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. You see, you've got two things happening in the story. You've got Jesus who comes to a man that doesn't know him. And now this man knows him because Jesus has just healed him. Here's a guy who believes in his own power, rightfully so, that he can't cure what ails him. He can't cure his physical problem and he can't cure his spiritual problem. Here's one thing we always have to see. When you see a physical healing in the New Testament, side by side, here's the physical healing here's the spiritual healing, and they all go together. Because you see, as Jesus comes to physically heal us, 
he heals us spiritually as well. This man needed to know Jesus. This man needed to be able to trust in Jesus. You know what Jesus did for this man was he healed him and forgave him of his sins and entered that guy into his family. But this guy couldn't do it on his own. And the second part of the story is this. All around where those pools are, are where the, the, the big shots in the temple would hang out. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the judges, the scribes, they all hung around that to see what was happening. And it's on the Sabbath day. It's on the church day. And Jesus comes by and performs this miracle. And those people, the guys in charge of church, they are so ticked off because Jesus did this on the Sabbath day and that's against the rules. Now you say, well, Chuck, what, what's, what is the deal with that? Well, listen, if, if you're more concerned about the Sabbath than you are the Savior, we have a problem. You see, we don't come to Sugar Hill Church because, because it's the Sabbath day. We come because it's the Savior's day. We come, we come to church not to honor a rule, not, not to follow a this is what you do. This isn't something that we come and do out of custom. We come here to meet the Savior not out of the requirement of the Sabbath. Now, I think it's wonderful when you honor the Sabbath, and I believe you should honor the Sabbath, and I believe God told us specifically in the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath. But I believe God told us that so that we would honor the Savior with our heart and our life and with our will and our soul. So the question I would say is, are you, are you laying by a pool of Bethesda here in Gwinnett County or maybe over in Cumming or in Gainesville? Are, are, you, are you laying by a pool waiting to fix your own junk, waiting to fix everything in your life, and you, you don't know it when Jesus walks through the room here at Sugar Hill Church and says to you, get up and walk. Or are you waiting for something to clean it all up, to fix it all up? Because Jesus didn't let this guy wait. He saw the need and he met the need. I believe the Lord Jesus walks through the, 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 the aisles of this room today and say, get up and walk, rise up and walk, let's go. And then you got the second part. I wonder if there are some folks in the room that are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the judges as they looked at what's happening and they're more concerned about the rules of the church than they are concerned about serving the Savior. You see, Jesus came and said of those people, that's a brood of vipers. This is why we say here every week, Jesus is the single biggest deal in our life. When we get him in the right priority in our life, we will get everything else right. And Jesus comes along and says, get up and walk. Remember the two questions though? Are you trying to fix your own junk when Jesus wants to come by and just fix it for you? And he's not waiting on you to fix your stuff before he comes to you. He comes to you right now and knocks on the door of your heart and all you have to do is answer. This is why the scriptures say, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. This is why the scripture is clear that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He walks up and down the aisles here knocking on your heart and saying, would you like me to come in and become your Lord, your savior, your king? Would you like me to introduce you to a relationship with God the creator so that you might have heaven, but you might also have life in abundance now? But are you worried that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the judges and the church folk are gonna look at you and think, well, the church can't use him. This guy sitting by the pool, he was never gonna be a big cog in the synagogue. He wasn't gonna drive up in an S class. He wasn't, he wasn't gonna give a lot of money. He wasn't going to dress well and come to church. But you know what he needed? He needed Jesus. You know what Jesus looked and did? I'm going to give you everything I've got. Your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go on home. 
Now, the second story that happens happens in Luke's gospel, and it also happens in chapter 5. And that's found in the 17th verse. The scripture says, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in because of the crowd. Because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and led him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Now, let me just stop and say, I want you to get this picture. So four guys have a guy who's never been able to walk before. They pick dude up, put him on the stretcher, tie ropes on the stretcher, get there, and when they see they can't get to Jesus because all the church folk are there and all the leaders of the church are there. And so they decide, let's go up on the roof. We're gonna cut a hole in the roof and we're gonna lower this dude down and we're gonna put him right in front of Jesus. Now here's the funny part of the story. That roof at the time, those tiles they're talking about, they would have been made from clay and cow dung and sheep dung and straw. And they would have formed all those into clays. And so then they would put them as tiles on top of the roof. And when these guys started cutting through the roof, all the Pharisees, all the scribes, all the judges, all the Sadducees, they had poo falling on their head for this guy to get to Jesus. You've got to really think that's funny. I mean, seriously, I believe the Lord Jesus had to look at that and say, that's funny. Because you see, nothing was going to keep those four guys from getting their guy to Jesus. Nothing. And so they lower Jesus down. And in verse 20, the text says, seeing their faith, he said, speaking of Jesus, friend, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason saying, who is this man who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, when, when, the, when the text says they're reasoning with him, what they're really saying is their hearts are troubled because they're not in control. Their heart and their mind are not aligned with Jesus because they're the only ones that are supposed to be able to do this even though they can't. Their hearts and minds are troubled because these kind of things shouldn't happen to them because they should be in charge of this room. You know how we know that? Because it was custom at that time that the teacher of the law, the teacher of the Old Testament, that was the person who sat and the other people would stand. That was a custom and tradition at that time. But the Bible is specific to say that they were seated as Jesus was teaching. So they didn't give him any recognition as Lord, as Savior, as King, or as Rabbi. Not even as teacher. But there he was teaching and they had come and they'd come to find out what was wrong with what he was teaching. Have you ever met those folks? They can find a gray lining in every silver cloud. You know what I'm talking about? They're like Eeyore, you're not really, you, you know what I'm talking about, from Winnie the Pooh? You can't do it. We've never done it like that before. Church doesn't do that. Let me give you a word, in love, shut up. <laughs> Jesus doesn't have to fit in your box or my box or our box. He doesn't have to fit in a Baptist box or a Presbyterian box or a Church of God box. God's bigger than any box we can build. And Jesus sees this guy and look what he says. Jesus says, wait a minute, I, there's a problem here. Friend, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees are reasoning. Who is this man? And then look in verse 22. But Jesus, aware that they were troubled, aware of their blasphemies, 
aware of their blasphemous hearts. And he says, which is easier in verse 23 to say, your sins have been forgiven you or to say, get up and walk. Which one's easier? Seems like a simple question, right? But so that you can know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. And immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear saying, we have seen a remarkable thing today. So here's, again, we've got two things going on. We've got the people of the church who are looking at this thinking, what blasphemy, when Jesus said, I can forgive you of your sin, Jesus knowing of that blasphemy, then says, but watch this, which one would be easier in your eyes for me to forgive him of the sin that you cannot physically see or to tell him to get up and walk knowing you've never seen this man walk before. And then he does something radical and he says, get up, rise up, stand up, take that stretcher and go home. And guess what happened? Dude stood up, picked up the stretcher, took it home, and I believe he sat it right next to his doorpost so that every day he'd be reminded, just like the rocks we did last week, I believe he would look at it every single day as he walked out the door and as he came in from work. I believe he looked at it and he knew, I, I know how far Jesus has carried me. I know Jesus is with me and I know he's gonna lead me into tomorrow. And I believe as he looked at that, the question came out, oh my stars, when was the last time we were in awe and amazement at what God had done? When is the last time we, we, we looked at something and we didn't second guess it and we didn't wonder about it and we didn't try to control it and we didn't try to explain it, but we simply accepted that was the hand of God. It could be big, it could be little, it could be something you have no idea about, it could be something you cannot explain, and yet the God of all creation, the God, the saint, the sustainer of all life, the father of the living Christ is intervening in your life. These things, I, I don't, I, I, just, I just love it when this kind of stuff happens. So I was running a little early this morning for a change. So I decided I would stop at the McDonald's in Duluth to eat a little something. So in my mind, I, I, all the way there, I was, I was thinking sausage, egg and cheese, biscuit, hash browns. This is gonna be a glorious event. I get my food, but I decided to be good. I got scrambled eggs and oatmeal. It was like awful. <laughs> I'd had like one bite of each. And if you've ever tasted a styrofoam minnow bucket, that's kind of what it was like. Not that I've eaten those, but I have had a rice cake before. Why? I mean, why? If you can't slather that bad boy up with, with peanut butter, why? Anyway, dude sitting kind of at the booth behind me. And I can tell, uh, it's possible he's homeless. He definitely has some special needs. Looks like he's probably 65 or 70, which means he's probably about my age, but he's had a hard life. And he said, hey, mister. And I'm thinking, oh man, come on. Lord, I'm a preacher. I, I, all I wanted to do is eat breakfast. I, I, I wanted to work through my sermon one more time. I want to show up for church. Hey, mister. I'm trying, hey, buddy, how, how you doing? You got anything? You got anything to eat? <laughs> yeah, I got some oatmeal. <laughs> so I gave him the oatmeal and I gave him my eggs and I gave him a drink. Man, he went at it. I went back, got a sausage, egg and cheese biscuit. <laughs> Tell me God wasn't in that. 
I chose to not explain it away, but receive it as a blessing from the Lord. It was my way of picking up my mat and coming to church. Seriously? That kind of stuff just doesn't happen, right? But it happens all the time. It, the problem is we like to explain them away. We don't believe the supernatural power of what the creator of the universe wants to do for you. He cannot wait to say to you, get up, pick up your mat, stop waiting on something else and take me by the hand. I've come to heal and to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. He walks through here just like he did at the pool of Bethesda, just like he did in that home. And then there's story number three. In Acts chapter 3, beginning in verse 2, here's what the scripture says. And a man who'd been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, once again, we find this theme. We have someone in physical need that is also in spiritual need. We find that even though Jesus isn't present, his spirit is present in the form and the life of Peter. And he is at work in the life of Peter. Now you might say, well, Chuck, I'm no Peter. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, I'm no disciple. Oh, I would, I'd beg to differ. Before Jesus called Peter to become a fisherman, before he invited him to be a part of his band, Peter was just a rough cussing fisherman that had no clue about life. It was ready, fire, aim. He was totally whacked out. He was just a dude. But what happened was he got near Jesus and he started to grow more like Jesus. Then he began to trust more like Jesus. Then he started to act more like Jesus. And then he started to do Jesus things. When we start doing Jesus things, God looks upon us and says, that's my child who I am so proud of and works through us in amazing ways. And Peter says, hey, there's that guy that people carry every day to sit by the gate beautiful. Les, you remember seeing the gate beautiful when we went to, to Israel and we were standing right outside and we read this story. That gate's still there. Hundreds of people around. And Peter says, hey, look at us. And there, there he was. He's thinking, I have struck the mother load. I'm going to get cash. I'm going to get a bath today. I'm going to eat something today. They've probably got a 20 for me. This is going to be awesome. And they're all into this. And then Peter says, I don't have any silver or gold. I don't have what you think you need, but I have what I know you need. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up. Go ahead, rise up. Now, at that moment, we have the same predicament we had in the first two stories. What do I do with that? My like, you're no Jesus, you're just Peter. You're a dude, I don't even know who you are. And Peter says, but I know who you need. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, rise up. And he did. And so he stood for the first time in his life, he stood and he had strength in his legs and his knees and his ankles and his feet. And the scripture said he began to jump around, wouldn't you? If you'd never walked and all of a sudden you could, I promise you, you'd be tearing it up. And then you know what they did? They put their arms around him and they walked him back into the temple and the people said they were filled with wonder and amazement. When's the last time that you were filled with wonder and amazement at what Jesus had done? 
You say, well, Chuck, you can't manufacture that. No, you can't. There's only one thing that manufactures that, and that is an obedience to what God has called us to do and be, an obedience to Jesus and what he wants to do in and through us. And I find myself at, at, at this crossroads where I think to myself, when I look at, when Peter says, look at us, and he says, get up, I wonder how many of us are, are wandering week by week by week, coming to church with some cultural Christianity that says, but that's what you do on Sunday morning, and we're so concerned about the Sabbath, we have no faith in the Savior. Or in the second story, we're so concerned about the discomfort of having to wreck our lives and not being able to have a nice, slow time that we just won't listen to Jesus because we're always in a hurry. We won't even let somebody let us down through the roof. Or in this last story, we're so concerned that what we need is more money, a better job, a better school, a better education, a better government, less government, or who's in charge of the government. We're so focused on that we have lost the Savior and all he wants us to be and do. And Jesus gives us this model in all three of these stories. He gives us this model of what happens when we rise up. That there's an action that comes. There, there is a, there's a physical action that comes with this rise up, this standing up, this getting up, this going. Those words are, are connected to healing. They're connected directly to healing. I would ask you, are you here today and are you in need of any healing? You say, well, Chuck, yeah, you know, I, I guess I am, but come on, I don't really believe in this. I don't really believe Jesus can do all that. Okay, well, you've already made up your mind. Let me ask you, how is everything else working? And, and are you like the guy laying by the pool in Bethesda and you, you cannot wait for somebody else to do something, including kicking you off the side of the pool into the water? Or as Jesus walks through the aisle today, are you saying, wait, I, I need that, I need you. Hey, Jesus, I need you. Or, or, or is it possible that no, nobody's put you on a stretcher and put you in front of Jesus, and yet God the Creator picked you up and sat you in this room today to hear this message, to hear this story, to hear about the power of His Son calling you, knocking on the door of your heart, saying, if you'll answer and let me in, and trust me as your Lord, and trust me as your Savior, and let me sit on the throne of your heart, then I will introduce you to the Father as his child along with me, and I'll give you heaven, and I'll give you life, not just abundantly now, but under the power and the presence of Jesus. Or maybe you're like this third guy. You're pretty sure that Jesus can't fix what ails you. I've got a lonely heart. I've got a broken heart. I've got a, my marriage is falling apart. My kids are going crazy. My mom's got cancer. My dad's got dementia. I, I, God can't fix that. Maybe you're sitting by the gate beautiful in Sugar Hill or Buford or Swanee or, or coming, and maybe you're, you're, you're sitting there waiting, thinking something else is going to have to fix it when Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart saying, come on, I came to heal, to seek, and to save that which was lost. And we forgot that it's connected to healing, but it's also connected to obedience. When we connect our heart to obedience to God, what happens is, is something active wells up within us. There's something that says, I got to do something. I got to be a part of something. I got a story this week of a Sugar Hill Church member who's got one of the Sugar Hill Church stickers on the back of their car. And they had a $50 Visa card. So when they got to the drive-thru at this Chick-fil-A down at Moore Road, and they paid for their meal and gave the gift card to the attendant at Chick-fil-A and said, give this to the person in the car behind us. So they did. And that person was so in awe that somebody would do that and notice that they had a Sugar Hill sticker on their car that said, I don't, I'm not really in need, but look at the car behind me, give it to them. And so two cars later, 
they get this gift card. And you know who told us the story? The person in the second car who never entered our doors and said, if that's the kind of church you guys are, maybe I ought to come there. So now think about it. What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for Jesus to do something in our life? Or are we waiting for us to do something in our life? Because when it's up to us, well, you know, I'll start next Monday. Well, Jesus, when I get this fixed, then I'll, I'll get involved in church. Jesus, when I get this fixed, then I'll come knock on your door. And Jesus says, no, 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 you don't knock on my door. I knock on yours. And Jesus is knocking on your door today. And he's asking us to live not only in healing and in obedience, but he wants to give you joy. It connects to joy. You see, when Jesus comes into our life, it doesn't mean we're not going to have troubles. It doesn't mean we're not going to have problems. But it does mean we're going to have joy to work through the problem. You know what else it connects us to? It connects us to the power of Jesus. Now think about it. The one who stilled the winds and the rain and the storms, I want him in my foxhole. I want him in my heart. I want him to guide my life. I don't want a pundit to run my life. I don't want a president to run my life. I want the savior of the world to run my life. But it's supernaturally connected to Jesus if that's the case. So the question is, maybe it's time for you to stop laying by the pool waiting for somebody else to do something for you. Maybe it's time to stop worrying about what the church people are going to think when you just trust Jesus and it is on the Sabbath and maybe you don't follow all the rules and maybe especially if you don't follow all the rules, Jesus might be knocking on the door of your heart saying, answer. And all you got to do is open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, I trust you as Lord. Thanks for dying for me, for raising from the dead for me, for creating a home for me because I'm a believer and giving me life eternal. Thank you. You say, well, Chuck, those kind of things don't happen to me. But they can. That guy didn't think by the pool of Bethesda anybody's going to help him. That, that guy who'd, who'd never walk, he, he couldn't imagine some, some guys cutting a hole in the roof and lowering him in front of Jesus and Jesus both forgiving him of sins and telling him to pick up his mat and go home. I mean, this third guy sitting by the gate, beautiful. Nobody ever thought this guy, he's, he's going to amount to nothing. He's a loser. We don't have time to invest in him. You know what he needed? Just more than oatmeal and eggs, he needed Jesus. And I worry that we've forgotten to rise up that Jesus has called his church to go put ropes on stretchers and lower people in front of Jesus. We've, we've forgotten that when Jesus calls his people to do the work of the Lord, he blesses richly. We've forgotten that Jesus has and will always have the power to do anything and everything. And the best thing, the only thing we offer this life is the presence and the power of Jesus himself. So if you're here today and you're saying, Chuck, I, I need in on that. I, I, I wanna be a part of that. You say, but I, I, don't, I don't know how to do it, Chuck. I don't, this whole church thing is, this is new to me. This whole Jesus thing is new to me. Or maybe you've been coming to church for 50 years, but you've never taken Jesus seriously because you, you couldn't understand that he was calling you to rise up. Then here's the message he has for you. He says that all of us come short of perfection, which makes all of us sinners. Everybody in this room, I'm the chief of them. But he says, I love you so much. I'm going to give you the cure for your sin and your selfishness. So Jesus came and he died and he shed his blood and his body was broken so that we could trust that he took our place and he could forgive our sin, 
our past, our present, and our future. And he says, rise up with me. You see, when he came to see his disciples and said, I've come to bring you peace, I don't believe they stayed reclining by the table. I believe they rose up. Jesus was in the room and they rose up. These three guys, Jesus walked by and they rose up. Today, as he walks by your seat and he knocks on the door of your heart, what he's saying is come rise up and take me as your Lord, take me as your savior. If you're watching online today, he's calling you to do the same thing. He's knocking on the doors of your heart, wherever you're at. And he's saying, rise up. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are more than good. You, you are the sustainer and the creator. You are the alpha, the omega. You are indeed the lion and the lamb. God, you have the power to accept all of us and all of our imperfections and create a home in heaven for us, for all those who believe. So Lord, would you give people right now who want to settle their account with God and to say, Jesus, that's what I want. God, would you just give them the courage to just pray this right there in, in, in the heart and in, in their seat. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Just, just say along with me, thank you for dying with me. Thank you for raising from the dead for me. Thank you that you shed your blood for the forgiveness of my sin. I'm sorry, please forgive me. I wanna live for you, I don't wanna live for me anymore. I wanna turn my life around. Give me a fresh start. I need your power and I need your provision and I need your forgiveness. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.